Hello and welcome to this edition of SSI Live. My name is John Denny and I'm a research professor of National Security Studies here at the Strategic Studies Institute, or SSI, at the U.S. Army War College. It's Wednesday, May 31st, and today I'm joined by Colonel Eric Schwedo, a resident student here at the Army War College. Eric and his peers have just completed a major research study here at the War College under, under the direction of my SSI colleague, Dr. Tony Echeverria on whether the U.S. Army is prepared for a great power war. Specifically, the research team that Eric was a part of has spent the last nine months examining issues surrounding the expansibility of the Army in the event of a great power war involving the United States. Now, this is the second in a series of podcasts on this interdisciplinary student-faculty research team led by Dr. Echeverria. Now, Eric's part of the project dealt specifically with the expansibility of Special Operations Forces, or SOF, and I've asked him to join us today to discuss that. Eric, welcome. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, Eric, let me ask you first, in your examination of how the Army would go about expanding its special operations forces in a great power war, what did you see as the greatest obstacles to that goal? Looking at the obstacles, I came upon two of the bigger, uh, bigger issues. The first being material. We're talking in terms of unique radios, weapons, and special operations uses, but most importantly, aircraft. The best example I can give is uh, C-47 Chinook. The Army buys a C-47 for $14 million. And then Special Operations takes that same $14 million aircraft, adds another $22 million of equipment to become, change a CH-47 to an MH-47. In a great power war in other parts of the study, we already see that there's going to be a great need for increased aircraft, increased number of aircraft. More importantly is, is that timeline is going to be stretched even further because those lines are going to be backed up for the Army and then backed up again for Army Special Operations. So that will be a, a, a big problem. But in addition to that, I really look more into the manpower. And the biggest issue among manpower is maintaining the standards and soft, unique skills while still trying to grow. Since not all Army Special Operations are alike, I need to break out my study into the five regiments. Special Forces, Civil Affairs, Psychological Operations, Ranger Regiment, and Army Soft Aviation. And I just needed to look not just how soft would grow, but more importantly, what can we do that's relatively inexpensive now that allow us for accelerated growth in the future in, in light of a great power war? I need to look at the soft truths. There are five soft truths, but there's two that come to mind when talking about expanding soft. One is soft cannot be mass-produced, incompetent soft cannot be created after emergencies occur. I'd use multiple mitigating factors in my paper to address being able to expand soft and still not break the soft truths. And then finally, looking at the aviation aspect of it, the Army as a whole underassessed 730 aviators this past six years. This has had a ripple effect on all soft aviation. Before we get into some of the recommendations in your part of this broader study, Eric, let me ask you, were there any historical perspectives that were helpful to you in the research process and, and as, you, as you developed those recommendations? When looking back at the historical background, I looked going all the way back going to the Office of Strategic Services and now reaching forward to the establishment of the Army Special Operations Aviation Command. There are multiple occurrences in which RSOF has grown to meet the requirements of the United States. Every expansion of RSOF has been unique but there are lessons that can be derived from each. In particular, the OSS model provided great insight. Colonel William Donovan 
not only looked for the right person in the military, he also looked for the right person across the board. Fully one-third of the OSS were manned by civilians. And this is the type of innovation that we need to look forward to if we're going to fight a great power war. Well, let's get into the recommendations now, Eric. Let me ask you first, broadly, what recommendations did you find that were appropriate or applicable across all of these five regiments you mentioned of Army SOF? The obvious first step is a stop loss and a five-year re recall to active duty. If we use Special Forces as an example, we can bring back up to 900 personnel, even if only one-third of those personnel are eligible to go back to tactical units. Then we look to going outside of the Special Forces Regiment and try to bring back those that are working outside the regiment. That's approximately 630 personnel. If only half of those are able to come back due to limitations in physical ability or having too high a rank to come back to the regiment, that's still over 1,200 personnel that come back to the regiment, which means that you could fill out almost three battalions. This is only a short-term solution, though, and helps buy down risk until the Special Warfare Training Center can catch up with supplying personnel to the force. The next issue is selection. When you talk to all five of the regiments, they believe that the most important part of the process is selecting the right soldier. This is the most important thing, and it also is the least time sensitive, except in the case of Ranger Regiment. Their selection is five to eight weeks long. But if you look at, say, Special Forces as the example, Special Forces selection is three weeks long. Special Forces course is anywhere from 12 to 18 months long. So if you do not assume risk in those three weeks, you may be able to look at other parts of the qualification course to assume some risk. For example, on a Special Forces team, does everybody on a Special Forces team need to be high altitude, low opening, parachute qualified? You may, but that decision has to be made at the time of great power war. If not, that's a piece that you could look at cutting down on training. All of these things need to be looked at at the time of a great power war. And then finally, do not cut down on the core soft skills. Once again, I go back to the Special Forces example. The core skill of Special Forces is unconventional warfare. We should not cut down on the unconventional warfare training. Because if you cut out on what makes a unit special, then there's no difference between them and any other unit. Eric, what about recommendations that might have been specific to some of the individual soft regiments? Did your study uncover anything of that sort? Absolutely. We need to develop framework organizations. For example, the Chief of Staff of the Army, General Milley, talks about using the Security Force Assistance Brigades that are now standing up as framework organizations for future brigades. We have the same type of scenario in SOF. Within the reserve component, there is organizations called Special Operations Detachments. There's about 11 of them across the nation. They can be dual-headed to provide a unit as a provisional, say, Special Forces group. They're 06-led, usually Special Forces personnel in these units, and at the time of a great power war, look to see if these can be used to help stand up a Special Forces group. Other types of units can also be looked to stand up soft in the reserve component. Next, we need to look at making non-soft civil affairs and psychological operations in a session branch. Since these personnel do not go through language training or a selection process, it will be easier to fill the ranks. They are already desperately short of personnel, and if you turn them into a sessions branch, they can go straight from basic training and advanced individual training directly into these units. Next, within the 160th, 
we need to designate a reserve component unit to support soft aviation requirements that do not necessitate 160th expertise. Normally when 160th deploys downrange, there will be a reserve component unit that will deploy alongside it to pick up missions that are not normally required for the type of expertise that 160th brings to the table. If you provide a unit that has a habitual relationship with the 160th, not only will that provide more stability, but also may provide a ready source for recruits in, in the event of a great power war. Next, look at mandating soft pilots to rotate out of the 160th. They need to look at the Ranger Regiment model. The Ranger Regiment model is, is that infantrymen come in and, in and out of Ranger Regiment throughout their career. Not only does this help process more people into the unit, but it also provides expertise to the conventional force. Unfortunately, in the 160th, once a person gets into the unit, in particular the pilots, they generally stay there for their entire career. In the event of a great power war, there will be no ready-made for source for personnel to come back into the unit. And being able to do this will cut down the training time and the build time in case we need to grow Army soft aviation. Next is to develop a great power war plan now. We need to know now and have ready how to integrate and optimize troops coming back to active duty. We need to look at training equipment, cadre, and training areas. This may seem small, but it can save time in the future when we may not have it. Colonel Eric Schwedo, uh, one of the research and writing team members in the forthcoming War College study in Great Power War. It sounds like some uh, very useful and practicable solutions and recommendations you've put together for the Army. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Listeners, if you'd like to read the study on Great Power War, keep your eyes on the SSI website. That's ssi.armywarcollege.edu, where the study will be published in early June and available to download for free. You can now find SSI Live on TuneIn Radio and on popular podcast directories like Stitcher and at the iTunes Store. If you have any comments on our podcast, thoughts on what you'd like to see addressed, or a response to something you heard here at SSI Live, go to our website. Again, that's ssi.armywarcollege.edu. Find me, John Denny, in the staff directory and send me an email. I look forward to hearing from you. For the SSI Live podcast series, I'm John Denny. Thanks for listening.